The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the first chapter. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I think before I begin, I want to say something. And what I want to say is that it's been a long time since I've preached here. Um, in fact, it's been 10 years and 50 weeks. I did the math, I promise it's from right. But I've been back a few times. And as I've been back, I have appreciated your pastor. Pastor Ken is a man that God has anointed he loves deeply. And I have no, I've seen a lot of pastors, especially in the last 10 years, and he loves the way that God loves us. And I'll tell you the other thing is, every time I've heard him preach, he has his stories and he's funny, he's all over the place. Every time he delivers the gospel. And in this country, at this time, in Lutheran churches, there are a lot of people who don't. And so... You are really blessed to have him. And I'm very thankful to be here. One last thing. Before I begin, I feel now like a Baptist pastor. I'm going to go 20 minutes and then we'll begin the sermon. No, I won't. Um, it's truly humbling to be here and to see all of you. Because I know this place, I know the people here. And I know that the, you are people who, who know God and love God. And so it's humbling to be here. Okay, now let's begin. A number of years ago, I invited a small group of people, it was a, it was a, a staff party, to think as during Christmas time, to go to the manger set and pick one figurine up that they think best represents them. And so one person who was kind of a character instantly grabbed the donkey. And he said, and I said, why did you grab the donkey, even though I kind of immediately knew why he should grab the donkey? 
But he said this. He said, you know what? I'm stubborn, but I like to be close to Jesus. Pretty good. Another one grabbed one of the kings. And they said, well, why did you grab that king? And, and she said, she goes, you know, this is the king that brought gold to Jesus. And I think God is beautiful. And I just, I, I love beautiful things. And I love being near a God who is beautiful. Again, good answer. Um, the third person chose a shepherd. So I asked her why she chose a shepherd. She said, honestly, I'm the kind of person who likes to stay away from church. Um, I like to be outdoors. I like to be far away. You know, she's a, a Christmas Easter type. You know how the people are. But she says, but I do like to come near because I know that God is holy and mysterious and mighty. And so finally, the last person, he grabbed Joseph. And this is a person who didn't talk a lot. Um, and when he, when he grabbed Joseph, he, he said, you know what? He said, I choose Joseph because early in my life, my wife became a Christian and I didn't. And for the longest time, she had this thing, this relationship with God that I didn't understand. At times, I felt like God was maybe more important to her than I was even. But then I became a Christian, and I understood what it's all about. And so I identify with Joseph. Now, I share this with you because I think when it comes to the Christmas story, Joseph is sort of the forgotten figurine. I mean, we all know the most important piece in the manger set is the baby Jesus. Now, that's the one that tends to get lost the earliest because everyone plays with the baby Jesus. We love the baby Jesus. And then a step down from the baby Jesus would be Mary. And so you need to have Mary. You need to have the baby Jesus. Like, if you're going to lose a figurine, you can lose the rest. You need Mary and Jesus. But then after Mary, honestly, we kind of like the angels the shepherds, the kings. We like all of them. We even like the animals. But below, finally, the animals, last place in your manger set, the one who's the first one kicked off the island, is Joseph. What good is he? He's just showing up. He's kind of like the father of a groom at a wedding. Like, no use whatsoever. And yet Joseph is important. And he's important not because of what he says. In fact, in the Bible, Joseph says no words. There's no poem. There's no song. There's no mighty deed. But Joseph is important because he's a man who's righteous. And he shows us what righteousness looks like. A righteousness that happens when you trust God and you decide to do the hard things in this life. Listen again to our reading from the, the gospel. It says, Now the birth, of Genesis, uh, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, uh, 
planned to divorce her quietly. I want to stop there for a second. Joseph is a righteous man. That's what it says. And as a righteous man, he would have tried to fulfill the law. He would have tried to be an upstanding person, to model a life that people could respect. Part of that is to, to live virtuously. And so as a result of that, he would have done the formal marriage proposal. And it would have looked something like this. In that day, he would have asked for Mary's hand. They would have drawn up some kind of legal contract. Then there would have been some kind of payment negotiated. And he would have then, at that point, taken time to get the right kind of funds in order to pay for this marriage to happen. And once he was able to pay, then they would throw a party. And they'd have this big party, and after the party, then you would take your wife home and you would be married. Now, there's a funny part of this about how the, that, that wedding party happened. So the animals that would happen, and this is long before there are contracts and wedding licenses, all before that. Instead, what, what they would do is they'd get an animal or maybe a few animals, and they'd slaughter the animals. And then, like, the father of the bride and the soon-to-be groom would walk between the animals. And in some ways, they'd say this. They'd say... If you break the covenant, may you be like that dead animal. So that's how ancient contracts worked. I think it's kind of fun. A little different now. It would have been a really terrible wedding yesterday if that's what happened right before. You're walking down, there's a dead carcass there, a dead carcass there. But what they did, they were also very practical because then afterwards what they would do is they'd barbecue it all up. And then you have a great feast, right? So slaughter them, walk through the animals, then call Bonnie, what a lot of pizza, let's grill it up, and we're going to have a party. Jeff would be out there too, smoking it. So that's kind of how it worked. But somehow before the con between the contract and the party, Joseph's life was disrupted. God decided to step in. God decided to turn everything upside down. And that's often how it works, isn't it? Usually right when you have all your plans made, right when you are set, your retirement is in order, then the disruption occurs. Out of the blue, a health result a phone call, new opportunity, the announcement of a child. Things out of the blue, when you're least expecting it, when you have everything in order, that's often when God decides to show up and to disorder all of it. And that's what happened to Joseph. He heard that message his bride-to-be came to him and said, I'm pregnant. And Joseph knew it wasn't his. Yeah. So what do you do? How do you go forward? Do you trust her? What would people say? Do you trust her? You'll look like a fool. Do you trust her? 
Well, Joseph is a righteous man. And so he does two important things. The first thing it says is that he decided to not try to disgrace her. Instead, he wanted to divorce her quietly. In other words, he was trying to show her mercy. And I think this is important because often when we think of righteousness, we think of being just, always getting it right. Like if I'm a righteous person, I'm going to live the right way, and I'm going to make everyone live the right way. You might know someone like that. You might be someone like that. But Joseph's righteousness was a little different. Yes, he knew the truth, but he was willing to also show mercy. He was willing to put love next to justice. He was willing to look like the fool in order to care for this woman. That's love. And he was even willing to love someone who had betrayed him, at least so he thought. Isn't love messy? Whenever you've loved someone, you know what love does to you. It tears you all up inside. It makes you do crazy things. It makes you even with, have a broken heart in order to, to still love. My oldest, Abby, so she's 17 now. For, it's amazing how fast they grew up. She's graduating this year. Um, she got a boyfriend, and this boyfriend is really great. Like, he is wonderful. I really like this guy. He's really smart. He's like, hey, Russ, do you want to play tennis? Yeah, he's on tennis team, so he, he lets me kind of keep it close, gives me lessons. I mean, I really like this guy. Let's keep him around. He's really kind, really smart, driven, all these things. When he was kind of being, uh, like, a little shy as a boyfriend, I'm like, no, do this. Ask Abby to go there. Like, I'm willing to give him money to take my daughter out because I like him so much. And he loved Abby. Like, I mean, he just loves Abby. But Abby just doesn't love him back. And we saw it. And Jamie and I are just like, oh, that poor boy. And so finally she, she broke it off, you know. And the whole family's more sad than she is, you know. And then he texts us, the family, and we're giving him, like, notes and pointers, and, like, we're praying for you. I'm going to have lunch with him next week. I mean, this is, I, I really like, I like him more than my own daughter. I mean, I, oh, this is recorded. I, I take that back. I like my daughter more. But he has love. And when you love, you're willing to put yourself out there. And Joseph loved Mary. And he was willing to lose money on the deal. He was willing to put her away silently, quietly. And then he does something else. After he's made up his mind, made his plan, you know, he had his first plan to marry her. God disrupted that. And then he decided, okay, I'm going to put her away. God made a plan, or he made a plan. And then he does what every sensible person should do. He takes a nap. Like, I like that. You know, when you're overwhelmed, how many of you just need a nap? Yeah, I mean, some of you might be taking a nap now. It's okay. 
But I have to warn you, when you do take a nap, God sometimes breaks in. And that's what he did. Here Joseph takes a nap. And if your name is Joseph, don't ever take naps. Because the Old Testament, Joseph, he took naps. He had dreams. Your name's Joseph. You're in a bad spot. You take a nap. Of course God's going to break in and disrupt. And he did. God spoke to Joseph in a dream. And this is what God said, verse 19 and following. But just when he had resolved to do this, see, he made a plan. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so when he woke, he took Mary. Married her. And called that boy Jesus. God disrupted again. So what are we to make of this? This story that we've heard millions of times in our lives, every Christmas. Well, Martin Luther would talk about righteousness this way. He says there are two kinds of righteousness in this life. There's the kind of righteousness that comes from our Heavenly Father. The kind of righteousness that God has to give to us. It's called an alien righteousness, not because it's like from another planet, but it's alien because it comes from outside of us. It's the righteousness that, that God demonstrates in this, but God demonstrates his righteousness in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Right? That's, that's the righteousness. That's the righteousness we need. All of us are covered by Christ, his death on the cross. When you're baptized, you're baptized into Christ's death, his resurrection. Why? So that his righteousness is put upon us, which means this, that when I'm looking out here, even though you're all total sinners and you haven't changed a bit in that regard, God's righteousness has covered you. And you stand before God pure and holy. Blameless. You are righteous. So that's the first kind. That's the best kind. That's the eternal kind. That's a gift given to you by God to be celebrated, to be held on to, to be thanked God for. But there's a second kind of righteousness. This is the one that comes from God, but it's directed towards others. It's, it's this way, that when you've been loved by God, you show that love to other people. You, you show people that kind of love in all kinds of ways. That's what Joseph was showing, was that kind of righteousness. Being secure in God, being secure in what God has done, you can then share that love to other people. You, can, you don't have to seek out trying to love people. You just have to live. And God will bring a lot of people across your path to love. And some of those people will be very hard to love. But that's all the ways that God disrupts you so that you would love as you've been loved. At the church in Iowa, 
and at Grandview's campus, there's a homeless man who is God's disruptor of me. When Paul said there's a thorn in his flesh, he was thinking about this one homeless man. I'm convinced of it because this man has disrupted my life over and over and over and over and over and over. And I can keep going because one day he called me 126 times. So much so I had to block him. He then sent letters to the administration saying that I gave him HIV. He graffitied the whole church in not chalk but crayons. So we had a power wash that. He took six hours doing it because we saw it on the videos. Would not stop, does not stop, continues disrupt. But then one day we decided, let's try to actually listen to what he, what he needs. And so we got a team together. And my motivation was not love. It was just, let's get rid of him. But someone in the team said, hey, I, I really think what he's saying is he's really frustrated over the stimulus money because he hasn't gotten any and he, he wants to move down to Texas and he just doesn't have any money. Let's try to get him his taxes filed. Okay, right? Let's see if that works. And so we gave him a rule. You can only show up one day a week at this time to which he called every other day, but he would show up at that one time. And so we had to get a social security card for him. But to do that, we had to get a license. And to do that, we had to track down a birth certificate. So this is three months of phone calls every day. And we finally got him it. Now that was a disruption. But when he got the check sent to him, to the church, and we hand it to him. He said, this is the first church that's ever loved me. Now I'm a sinner. I was just so happy he got it and he's going to go to Texas, right? <laughs> but that's how disruptions work. And I think all of us might find ourselves in a place where we have to love as we've been loved. Maybe it's a place of reconciliation. You're in a, someone's harmed you or someone's offended you or someone has messed up that relationship with you and you know all the ways in which they're wrong and yet you might need to take a first step in reconciliation. Or maybe the righteousness is a kind of foolishness of giving, all your, giving some of your hard-earned money to someone in need. Or maybe the righteousness is a foolishness that is taking some of your valuable time, and time is valuable, and sharing it with someone else. Do you see how righteousness works? It's like a rock. When it soaks up all of the goodness of God, and then it generates heat for those around you. That's what this is. That's what Joseph was about. And that's how he's a story for us, not because he said the right words, but because he soaked up who God was, and then he decided to kindly and graciously love a woman. And even when he thought he had it all figured out, 
he was then willing to be open to God who broke in again and gave him more to do. That's righteousness. That's how God works. And I'm convinced that when Jesus, many, many, many years later, was standing and teaching, or sitting, I guess, at the Sermon on the Mount, and he was looking out over a whole crowd of broken people, and he's teaching them and calling them blessed. He then told, told them that they needed a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And I wonder, just wonder, if in his mind he first thought of his Heavenly Father's righteousness that would be demonstrated on the cross. But then I wonder if he thought about his earthly dad, Joseph, and the kind of righteousness that Joseph shared and showed to him when he was a boy. We don't know. We can ask him in heaven. But what we do know is this. God loves you. And he's demonstrated that to you on the cross. And so soak it up. Let it fill you and saturate you. And then when some poor creature comes by who needs a little love, love as you've been loved. That's a pretty righteous thing. In Jesus' name, amen.